Welcome everyone to this week's episode of FF Plus, a spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and sometimes discussion. I'm your host, Aaron White, and excited to be bringing you these new reviews. By the way, if you're interested in following me and interacting on social channels, you can always find me on Twitter, at Film, and there are lots of other links to my own social media in the show notes. I'm always down to chat. Here on FF Plus, the format is pretty straightforward. I'll start by talking about what I liked about each movie, because we're big fans of positivity here at Feelin' Film. Then I'll mention anything that I didn't like before eventually giving you a recommendation on whether I think the film is worth your time and money. That's it. Simple, short, and spoiler-free. So let's get into it, shall we? The first film, and the only new release that I'm covering in this episode, is The 355, starring Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Penelope Cruz, Diane Kruger, Thon Bingbing, Sebastian Stan, and Edgar Ramirez. It is directed by Simon Kimberg and written by Teresa Rabeck. What's it about? CIA agent Mason Mace Brown, played by Jessica Chastain, joins forces with a rival German agent, played by Diane Kruger, a cutting-edge computer specialist, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and a Colombian psychologist, played by Penelope Cruz, when a top-secret weapon falls into the hands of a group of mercenaries. Together, the four women embark on a breakneck mission to save the world, while staying one step ahead of a mysterious figure who's tracking their every move. Okay, right off the bat, I've got to tell you, I absolutely love spy action movies. This is one of my favorite genres. In fact, I was on the verge of creating an entire other podcast series that was going to go through this genre of film. And so anytime we get a new one, I'm going to have my hopes up. I'm going to be hyped for it. And I'm going to really go into it just with a lot of grace, honestly, wanting the best. But I've also seen it all. And that can come into play when it comes to how I respond to the particular elements of this type of film. I did see a trailer for this once and I did not like it at all. I thought it looked very cheesy very silly because they played up the whole history of the name 355 thing in the trailer. I thought this movie was going to be a lot more jokey in nature than it ended up being. I thought it was going to kind of more lean in the direction of Netflix's Red Notice from last year. Thankfully, the horrible name and those fears were not a problem. I still don't like the name of the movie, but it doesn't even come up until near the very, very end. And it is indeed actually a cool tie-in to what these women become. So it makes sense, but it's just not the best name out there. And as for the rest, this was just a pleasant surprise for me. It starts with energy and it keeps that going the entire film. Something I very much appreciated. Most of its twists, honestly, are pretty predictable. They are highly entertaining, I thought, though. The actors are good. They're doing a solid job in this role. They're not miscast. They're not out of place. They understand the dynamic between the males and the females and how this is supposed to work. And it feels very natural. And it really did just completely have my attention. It kept me really locked in to the movie from start to finish. My you know excitement didn't wane one little bit. And there are still some fun surprises in the plot to be had. Just no big overarching plot twists that are going to shock you and blow you out of the water. There is legitimately great chemistry between the leading ladies who all handle themselves pretty well as action stars. 
The banter between them is great, especially Chastain and Kruger. You can really just tell there's this underlying simmering tension between them, and it's in the dialogue when it comes out. It's very snappy and very seething for most of the movie. I like that a lot. Their skills, they differ in style as well as their ability, and I enjoyed that because they each come into play at different points in the movie, and I think that they complemented each other very well as a team. So that's what you want in this kind of movie. You need a group of people who bring something unique to the group dynamic, and they do that. I also think that the fact that they're women and the fact that this was written by a woman indicates that this was intentional, of course, and that is that they deal with some situations that are not quite the way that you might see it handled if the action star was a man or was a bunch of women. It's just a different kind of perspective that I thought was really fresh, and it doesn't change what happens in the plot so much, but it affects the way in which they go about handling a familiar plot that was able to give me something that I didn't quite think I'd seen played out just like this before. It's got everything you expect from the spy action genre. It's globetrotting. There's lots of guns and gunfights. There's knives. There are chase scenes on motorcycles and running across, you know, crowded international streets. There are several action set pieces, uh, one of which I really enjoy with Thon Bingbing doing some martial arts work that's got lots of high tech in it, and it's got a big global threat that honestly kind of reminded me of one or multiple of the things that the crew in Fast and the Furious have dealt with before, and I find that funny because they're both universal properties. But it all looks very clean and crisp. The cinematography is not going to blow you out of the water or anything, but it is nice to look at. One big positive for me also is that it has legit stakes. That energy and that tension is there from the drop and it does not get any lower. It does just increase as the film goes on. So this is not a movie that gets jokey and messes around where everybody's going to come out of it just perfectly fine in the end. It gets serious. And that is something that elevated it for me quite a bit. Also, a big props and and again probably at least partially if not entirely thanks to the writer Teresa Raybeck film does not overly play the women's sexiness and their appearance that doesn't happen to be the main point where it's constantly bringing the camera in to show them in a way that is focused on their physical looks it doesn't happen in the plot where it's all about seducing people and getting them into bed and that was really great I I loved seeing them use their skills to be great spies and great action stars and not having to rely on that old trope. And it's a great setup for a franchise, I think. It ends in a fun way. And I know that Universal was going into this right off the bat, hoping this could be something that could create a series of movies. Pretty much all movies feels like they're doing that these days. This is one I'm all in. I don't know what else to tell you guys. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. So many have tried to create a female assassin slash spy franchise before, but I think that Simon Kimberg and Teresa Rayback have something to wield upon here. They've got a great foundation that they have laid. 
Yes, it has those cliches and tropes, but I think that that's fine. There's enough personality here. The actors themselves, the women, are awesome. Sebastian Stan, when he's on screen, he's great. Their personality in this film helps them to rise above those tropes and cliches and make this enough to be its own thing. When it ended, I wanted to watch it again right away. That's how much fun I had. So it's a big two thumbs up for me. And I do think it will probably be one of the films that I rewatch the most this year. And to get it the first week of January is an incredible treat. As far as dislikes go, I don't have many, if any. I really don't. I mean, the dislikes that I'm going to point out would only be things that others might have a problem with. And that is the tropes and the cliches that they're there. If you're looking for this to be something that completely breaks the mold and is innovative within the genre. Nah, that's not what you're getting. I don't think that that's what they sold either, though. And so it didn't bother me (laughs) at all. And it usually doesn't. Because I think that if a movie is exciting and fun and keeps me smiling and having a blast, then it's successful. It doesn't have to shock and surprise me at every single turn to be able to be called good. But if that's what you need, then you're not going to find it here. And the action is not the greatest. There's, you know, some cool set pieces, I thought, but they're not anything spectacular. And you're not going to see these people doing their own stunts in the way that you would see a Tom Cruise doing them. I will say this, though. There is one specific fight scene with Jessica Chastain that my roommate who was watching it with me, we both noted it was incredibly refreshing that it doesn't go easy like she's fighting a big man and it's a challenge for her it doesn't just happen because she's the spy and so she wins easily you know and so i thought that the movie was pretty realistic when it came to how they were able to get the job done but there's nothing in here that you're going to be going oh this is some of the best fight choreography of the year I don't know what else to say. Otherwise, you know, you may or may not like it, I guess, but I thought that it's leagues above so many of the attempts we've had and definitely better than everything we got last year from Netflix. They tried like three or four different versions of a movie like this, and then we got The Protégé as well, and I think this is better than all those films. So I really, really enjoyed it. One more note, there is no post credit scene. You're welcome. You don't have to wait and see yourself. My recommendation... Again, I'm all about it. Go see it in a theater. I may try to get out and find a way to see it in a theater myself. I watched it on my big, nice screen at home and great sound. And so it looked amazing and sounded wonderful. But this would be a fun movie to see in a theater, I think. And I would highly recommend it. It is available in theaters on January 7th, if you would like to do so. Next up, we have a film that I caught up with that has been out streaming for a little bit now. It's called The Killing of Two Lovers. It stars Clay Crawford, Sepeda Moafi, Chris Coy, Avery Pizzuto, Ari Graham, and Ezra Graham. It is directed by Robert Machoyan and is also written by him as well. What is it about? A man desperately tries to keep his family of six together during a separation from his wife. They both agree to see other people, but he struggles to come to terms with her new relationship. Now that setup in and of itself is drama right there. The issue at the heart of this marital drama is incredibly modern. And I felt that the performances and the dialogue 
around how it is handled in this movie are very, very authentic. I have had personal experiences that are close enough, tangential to what these characters are dealing with to tell you that I can confirm much of how the main character, David, tries to work through his feelings is spot on. His struggle and internal grief and fight and frustration and growing rage, it all makes perfect sense with what he is dealing with in this movie. And I thought that Clayne Crawford's performance was one of the year's best. I had not even heard of this actor before, but he really, really nailed this depiction of a person suppressing their emotions while trying to present a man that has it together. And I assure you, it hit home in a very painfully relatable way. He has to deal with his wife who wants him to move out. So he's got to go live with his parents for a while. And she's dating. In the meantime, she's sleeping with another man in the meantime. And he only gets to see his kids on the weekend as if he was truly divorced. And yet they're still going on dates. They still have a regularly scheduled night that they're supposed to get out and spend time working on their relationship. Listen, it's not a simple, easy thing. And so you can imagine the kind of stress that you're going to get in this. It is a very tense film as well. Part of that is because of both the cinematography and the score. It has an incredible and stark and simple, but really beautiful photography style. And I think that it's a wonderful choice was made to shoot it in 4.3 format because it gives the movie a claustrophobic feel. And it really helps to strengthen that sense of David as this world is closing in around him. He is our POV character for the entire movie. It's really him that we're following through these struggles. And so it works so well. And then the score and the sound design, I don't know how to separate them or it's one of the only times in my life that I might have said they're very much the same thing. Sound design is kind of used as the score. You notice it pretty much right away. There's an incredibly suspenseful opening scene. And then this music kicks in and it, it is in the background. And it sounds like building up and then gun clicks, building up and then gun clicks. And it really accentuates the feelings we see in David as this story moves forward. He will occasionally break out in a violent screaming, you know, release of emotion. And he, along with that score in the background, it helps him to feel like a ticking time bomb that he is going to just go off at some point. He's just going to not be able to handle this. And what is he going to do? We don't know. I love that the movie never quite pinpoints an expectation for what he's going to do, but you always have that sense of being terrified that, that it's coming. It's just a matter of time and something's going to push him over that edge. What's it going to be? You got to watch to find out. It is a film that grabs your attention from the very beginning and it does not let go. It's one of those movies where you will find yourself holding your breath frequently. And then when it is over, you'll just let out a big sigh of relief and feel this huge weight lifted off your shoulders just because it's finally done. It just builds and builds and builds. 
to what we naturally expect is going to be some sort of tragic confrontation. And I won't tell you how that plays out, but it's definitely not quite going to be, I think, what you might expect the whole time. On the dislikes side of the house, again, not much on this one. I really love this movie. The only drawbacks would be the betrayal of David's teenage daughter, Jessie. Her performance just feels pretty amateurish compared to David specifically. And unfortunately, that means that it borders on being distracting during their scenes together, which are supposed to be pretty emotional. And, you know, for me as a father who's kind of had some experience with this, not necessarily experienced with this with a teenager, but I really understood the relationship and how hard it was for both of them to go through this and deal with their feelings. And I needed more from that actress to get to where the movie wanted me to go with that specific relationship in David's life. And then the way in which the film ends, I kind of alluded to this. I lean towards not being bothered by how the story wraps up narratively overall, but I was also kind of left wanting more details regardless of that. There's a bit of an open ending, I guess I could tell you, and it's a little bit up to interpretation of what may or may not go down. And I get where the filmmaker is going with that and probably what the point of it is, but it does leave it to be just a little less than perfectly satisfying. Well, The Killing of Two Lovers is available streaming now on Hulu, and it is available to buy and rent on Video On Demand retroactively, easily in my top 30 or so films of 2021, and probably would have been on my awards ballot for Seattle Film Critics Society nominations had I seen it before the deadline and before I voted, unfortunately. But I definitely recommend it. You can't go see it in a theater, but you can go see it at home, and it's right there in front of you on Hulu. So fire it up, check it out. You will not be disappointed if you can stomach it. It is a heavy, heavy subject matter, and you've had your enough knowledge now to, to know if it's going to be a trigger warning for you personally. Some folks may need to stay away, but if you can get through it, you're going to appreciate the quality filmmaking on display at the very, very least. That's it for this week on FF+. Plus. I hope that you have found a movie that piques your interest. That's always my desire. And I would love to hear what you think when you do see any of the films that are discussed on this show. You can find me on Twitter at Film. You can find me on Letterboxd at Aaron L. White. That's A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. As I said earlier, links to all that stuff in the show notes of each and every episode. There's also the Feelin' Film Facebook discussion group where like-minded cinephiles and blockbuster fans alike come to chat about movies all day, every day. And I will always encourage you to come join us there. I will be back soon, but until then, keep watching and keep feeling.